just look for the time where yeah, we're like yeah. having a good time or Jamie says something yeah, funny. Yeah. And then that's when I start the, <laughs> the audio me. to make sure that no, I mean they, yeah, they look I don't good. know what makes you think that I say something funny. I'm not a funny I guy. I make sure you do. I I cut it out specifically. What, am, I a am I here to amuse you? Hear and with you that, laugh. welcome to Red Raccoon Radio. <laughs> uh, your premier place that's to talk funny. about the Bloomington game shop that is just rocking my scene. Uh, we are here today with Jamie. Hello! And Jesse. Hey, hey. And we're here to talk more about the nerdy things that we all love. Speaking of, we almost touched on it in like the pre-show. I'm glad we didn't because we got to talk about Super Bowl trailers and how amazing they were. Yeah. I didn't watch any of them. Okay. Oh, that's fair. really? Well, first yeah. of all, let's, uh, let's be honest. Arnold as Zeus with Salma Hayek as Hera. That was pretty funny. I had seen like posters for it. And I was like, what movie are they trying to do? Yeah. And they sold that marketing very well. Yes, it was for a, electric car. And so Zeus was, they were uh, like, Zeus retired and stepped down, was trying to live the suburban life. But people were like, hey, Zeus, my uh, weed whacker is out of power. Hey, Zeus, can you give a little extra for the golf carts? And he's, he's lighting stuff up and he's getting super irritated about it. And then Salma Hayek is just like, hey, I got you this thing. And she gets him an electric car. Okay. It, it was actually pretty funny. It's worth fun. watching. It was, it was good. She, she had some great comedic timing. And I am so glad that they still have her on for more Marvel movies. She oh, is. Yeah. I don't want to spoil anything yeah. for people who have not seen stuff, but apparently she's still going to be around in the Marvel universe. Because she's in the first bit. Eternals okay. movie. She's in the Eternals. Yeah. Okay. But there's going to be beyond that. Yeah. And that is surprising. I'm always happy to see well, some of There's a things. way, though. There's if you see the, the, the Eternals, it lays out exactly how she's in the future future ones. But I think there's a lot of discussion we could have about is there, that. Is it spoilers when the Eternals has been out for two months? How long? How long till spoilers? Yeah, are, are, are I have over? a complex relationship with that because the time limit thing, something can be new to anybody at any time, right? So yeah. it's hard to say. Like if you're in a specific context, like, well, I'm listening to a Marvel movie podcast, so they're going to talk about it now because it's been X amount of time. On the other hand, like. I don't know, somebody hasn't... Memento's been out for 25 whatever years and someone's never seen it before. I don't want to spoil it for them. Yeah. Um, well, that's fair. So, all right. We won't talk more about that. We'll talk about that privately. Yeah, we'll talk I about that offline. Because I have going yeah. on, too. So, but then, uh, Ring of Power, right? The Amazon series for Lord of the Rings, they showed off the first kind of teaser for that one. And people around me kept trying to talk. I was at a Super Bowl party and I'm like... Be quiet! It's Lord of the Rings! Stop talking! And they all kind of looked at me, but they all shut up. And then I watched it. And then I'm like, okay, you may resume talking now. When the over six foot tall man tells you to pay attention to Lord of the Rings, you pay attention to Lord of the Rings. I it's not that, a tumor! I will say that trailer, though, did not do much for me. Really? You don't think so? I got I got kind of chills in a couple I, parts of it. I didn't, like... Like when the guy caught the arrow... And then put it in and, the bow. The elf caught the arrow and then yeah. shot it back. That was pretty cool. <laughs> that was cool. I'm not going to... Anytime we do elf archery, I'm all for it. No matter what. It, inside or outside Lord of the Rings. Uh, I plan on someday we will get a show where an elf grabs a bullet and somehow puts it back in a gun and shoots it back at somebody. I think that's on the horizon. <laughs> However, 
It's like Shadowrun right there. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. got to be that way somehow, right? Like, we can't recast the bullet with gunpowder. Nevertheless, I just didn't feel like it... It didn't bring me anything that made me feel like this is definitely Lord of the Rings, and it didn't bring me anything like this is something truly epic. It showed me a lot of cool stuff, but... I've seen that type of stuff in fan videos that people have done and done an extremely good job you and So I actually haven't followed it very much. Um, there hasn't been still, really anything to follow. Okay. Right. I and mean, they, this is the first of the time I've ever seen so, actual video of so any of it. So it's set in the Third Age just like... Oh, it's supposedly set a thousand years before the events of okay. The Hobbit. I thought it was going to be in between The okay. Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, right. which is not what they're doing. Right. That's what the Journey to Middle-Earth board game does. Right. It's, it does a fantastic job. Yeah, yeah, I know you and Amanda love that one. Yeah. This is supposedly set in a thousand years before. Okay. Right? So, and, and with, with the name Ring of Power, the right. Rings of Power... I'm assuming it's when Sauron is casting okay. the rings, and so it's going to be more like Elrond. Maybe, maybe you see some of the some of the uh, kings who become the Nazgul get corrupted and stuff like that. That's that kinda... what I'm thinking they're going to go for. But then again, not a, I, I don't know. Maybe I missed it. Not a single ring on this trailer. Uh, and I was like, I was expecting at least the gravitas of like someone sliding on a ring you at know, some point in time, but I saw nothing. Maybe the real ring is the friends we made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the fellowship of yeah, the ring, new yeah. Doctor Strange. Oh. Um, the the multiverse movie is coming out in May. New trailer for that. Let's clear an entire hour of this podcast just to cover because I actually listened to another podcast where they went frame by frame and everything they picked out of a two minute spot mm. was an hour and a half long conversation. Yeah. They're pulling all the stops out. I don't want to ruin anything for someone who hasn't well, seen yeah, it's it. It's a trailer. I mean, it's yeah. it's but Wanda. You know, what what wanted to say, uh, God, what'd she say? Something to the effect of like, um, when you change something, you're the good guy. When I change something, I'm the bad guy. Something like that, right? Yeah. That was a new part that they hadn't shown before. So is Wanda the bad guy? Is Doctor Strange the bad guy? Because from previous trailers and then this one again, we see like the dark mirror universe Doctor Strange, mm. right? Where he's talking to himself. So this is gonna, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. I'm just, yeah. or they got a bad guy hidden, like hanging from the ceiling, like Fifty Cent, and nobody's <laughs> actually aware that he's going to be there yet. I mean, they haven't actually talked about that yet. <laughs> you didn't watch the Super Bowl at all, did you? No, I'm just, I'm just thinking. I'm like, wait, is that is Fifty Cent in a Marvel movie that I missed, or is is give it time? Although that sounds like a Suicide Squad kind of thing. He's going to be in Morbius now because he like dropped from the rafters like Batman, and it was pretty awesome. <laughs> it was during the halftime show with Dr. Oh, Dre and Eminem and okay, and okay. Uh, Kendrick Lamar and, right, and Mary right. J. Blige and Snoop. Right. And then all the, and they announced all those, right. but all of a sudden in the middle of it, they have like this house set up and all of a sudden 50 Cent is hanging upside down and Kelly's like who is that and, and he's got like his Entering I'm like he's like got the big sting. 50 he's got this right. big giant gold 50 hanging from his neck I'm like right. see the big 50 it's 50 Cent so he's like on a harness descending no oh. he's, he's like inside of this house they built in the okay. center stage hanging upside down of singing the intro oh. to uh, It's Your Birthday. Oh, that's they, fun. They actually, I was thinking like Sting in the WCW days, which that would have been Right, fun. insane. Yeah. Uh, they actually <laughs> show him, though, uh, while the on top of the house, I think it's uh, I think it's Dre and Snoop, 
and they show that 50 Cent like sneaks into this little house area, grips a bar, and he just fully deadlifts okay. himself up. Like the man still's got it. Huh. And and he just held it there apparently until it was his time to drop. And that's impressive to me. Nice. Yeah, it worked yeah. out. It was I, it was a good halftime show. It was a good halftime yeah. show. Yeah, you're absolutely right, though. The, of course, being the the geek in the room, uh, my favorite part of the entire Super Bowl was the commercials and the trailers that happened. Yep. It was a good game. It's funny because one of our customers, I was uh, was also at the party, and uh, she posted something to the effect of. Uh, it was a picture, and it was like, you know, of this guy making a scrunchy face, like when somebody wants to start talking to you about the game, and you're just here for the food and the commercials. And I replied to her, like, I'm in the basement. It just happened to me. <laughs> I used to have season tickets to see the Bears, and, and you know, it was such a trek to get to Chicago every all the time, and I'd have to leave the house at, like, 4 in the morning and never get home till like, 7 p.m. at night and was just completely – exhausted like the entire next day and we finally I finally gave up my mm. season tickets I sold them to another buddy and 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 I don't know I just kind of got out of the habit of watching football when I didn't have yeah. season tickets and it was for me it was mostly a it's a lot like board games right it was mostly a reason to hang out with my friends and have yeah. a conversation <laughs> and spend time with them and that's really my favorite part of playing mm-hmm. board games or RPGs is hanging out with my friends people you know there's the false dichotomy of most people I know who like nerdy stuff also like sports in some way or vice versa you know, it's there's not actually a separation there. All my nerdy friends in high school played football in high school. Um, but, like, I, I fell out of football a few years ago. I like hockey when I remember to watch it. I really like rugby. It's, like, one of the – that's a sport that I actively will watch and really follow, but – they still haven't gotten. Well, that. Raven made me turn on the Olympics and watch the curling other the other day. Like, <laughs> curling, curling is a nice Sunday afternoon for sure. <laughs> yeah, they get that National Rugby League actually off the ground. They keep wanting to do it like how the AFL used to be the off season for you know a football uh, stadium, but it keeps not happening. I mean, I tell you, the best sport in the world, roller derby, because you have both offense and defense going on at the exact same time. Uh, you can be rooting for both teams. And the most exciting you will get is when very little movement is actually occurring on the field. Because if the blockers are doing their job correctly, people can't score. And so they just constantly... I got to go to the championships a few <laughs> years back in Nashville. And the the crowd was going wild because they only moved like 15 feet around the track. Because their blockers were doing that good of a job. Do you remember when roller derby was on like WGN? I mean, maybe I'm older than both of you, so I was a kid, and it was a thing with like this crazy wall that they would launch each other, like like two two uh, two people would launch yep. the third person up this like 15 foot wall where they could try to score as they would skate up the wall, try to score, and then have to skate down the other side like this massive ramp. So I don't I'm, know if you guys remember that. Or I have not. a lot of friends who've done roller derby, but I've never really dove into it myself. From what I understand, I could be wrong here. Isn't it like there's some roller derby that's uh, to use wrestling parlance, like a work that's like exhibition, and then there's more competitive roller derby that's like a sport. Absolutely. So it's it's kind of divided between like flat track and and uh, elevated track. So what you are describing, Jamie, is elevated track where they're like, you can really get some momentum going because the track is on an edge and you can whip around. And But a lot of times that's going to screw up 
people's hips for a long period of time because mm-hmm. of how much you're skating that way. Flat track is a little bit, to my knowledge, a little bit more of the like professional, like we're going to try and keep going as long as we can. So we're going to be good to our bodies as much as we can and punching and not punching, but like lightly elbowing sometimes. <laughs> there's, <laughs> welcome, to, elbowing. welcome to Derby Talk. Uh, say, this is the podcast within a podcast. This is the most interesting episode that we've had so far right? in terms of diverting How much of this is going of... to stay in the episode? And I've restrained myself from just talking about how I'm excited to eventually go to a professional wrestling show again. That's what I want to get back to. You know what? The metaverse is going to take you there. I want to go back. Oh, You're just going to put on this metaverse. But until we, we can We don't come, want the metaverse as long as Facebook's in charge of it. That's true. As as uh, Keanu Reeves said, I did like the fact that Facebook. La- all right, so here's this uh, semi-topical, right? Last week, uh, Facebook the band. Meta threatened to pull Facebook out of the European <clears throat> Union, and they went, okay. And that was like, well, you know, you could do this to, no. There was like this negotiation where they were, like, they were trying to make these threats and trying to strongly arm the EU, and the EU was like, yeah, go ahead. That's fine. We don't have any problem with that. Go ahead and pull it up. I don't know. I just, I thought that was, that was pretty interesting. And our nerdy people listening to this would probably find that interesting too. Mega corporations. It's only a matter of time. Yeah. Speaking of mega corporations, let's transition into our first <laughs> article of the day. Wow. We are jumping the gun and I love what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about wizard. Uh, do you, which one do you want to talk about? Well, I, we, have we, have two, we have two mega corporations. Let's go Wizards of the Coast. Hasbro. Yes. Wizards of the Coast has passed $1 billion in revenue in 2021. And this is big news because they, they got to that B, that B billion. And not only that, but from what you were finding, they actually made quite a profit from gaining that $1 billion. Yeah, $540 million profit on that, uh, which is, that means they're better than 50% margin, which is better than most businesses do, right? So mm-hmm. when you're controlling um, as many different aspects of production, you know, I mean... Um, yeah, it's, it's, we know D and D has been on a tear. Dungeons and Dragons is just going crazy. Everybody's playing it. Um, we'll circle back maybe a little bit later, talk about critical role because critical role is a critical part of the, some of the publicity that's been happening for Dungeons and Dragons. And then you've got, um, last year, it's interesting that it did so well last year too, because last year. They didn't have the greatest sets last year. They did have the Dungeons and Dragons set last year, so that might have helped because the the actual Dungeons and Dragons set for Magic, um, even though most diehard Magic players did not like it, it pulled in a ton of old school casual players. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking about it earlier today. It was the single highest selling or single best selling <laughs> set for Magic ever was the D&D set that they released, The Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. And um, and we did, we had great sales with it. And, and so many people were like, I haven't played D&D for like 12 years, but mm, I got a... I haven't played Magic for 12 years, but they got a D&D set. I'm right. in. I'm going to give it a shot. <laughs> they really found that Venn diagram that worked. Yeah. Yes. Well, and yeah, that some, overlap. There were some weird trends. Like, Kaldheim was a set that was received okay, but it then became the first standard set in a long time that we actually sold out of, and then I reordered because of demand. Like, yeah. So there's some weird stuff like that that kind of is a little bit, it got more of a bump later after another set or two had come out. 
Yeah, because it became relevant, right? Mm-hmm. That happens all the time with magic cards is, is, you know, this set made those cards from four sets ago relevant when we didn't care about them before. But we had a standard rotation in September. But the, the, the October-November sets, right, the vampire sets back in Innistrad, which was Midnight Hunt, which was the werewolf set that didn't have any werewolves in it, and then the um, Crimson Vow, which was the vampire wedding set, players were just kind of like, meh. Or at least players here. My and Chemical it, Romance fans, very excited. It's It was definitely a mixed reception because, I mean, Innistrad is a fan favorite uh, setting. A lot of people really like it. It's got great flavor. It's, I mean, it, it writes itself. Um, the original Innistrad set is hailed as one of the, you know, most successful sets in the last 20 years. And then the... Shadows of Registrad set was a very mixed reception. Some people liked the changes they made, some people hated it, and mechanically, from what I understand, it did, was not power curve friendly. It was underpowered. And so, but from a was, casual perspective, casual players really ate the Shadows over Innistrad yeah. and Eldritch Moon. They right. shot, they ate them up, and they they're sold out. They're yeah. like really hard to get. Oh now. yeah, especially Eldritch Moon. And so, this one was an interesting. Where's it going to fall? Right, and I think it sounds like. It depends on what type you like, right? If, you, if you're if you a vampire player, there end up being a lot of good vampire options. Werewolves are a little bit more mixed. I barely heard any discussion about the other archetypes in there. But there were some supply things where things got very strange in terms of availability for those sets. And frankly, I think the big thing is that people got... You had two things that were released as two separate sets very close to each other. And I think they diluted each other. Instead of if they just made it one larger set. I think you're right on that. One of the questions that I've seen online, and I haven't seen any proof of it, but there's a question raised, was one of those sets, possibly the the Vampire Wedding, supposed to be not Innistrad, but uh, uh, Ravenloft, and that it was supposed to be continuation of the D&D set? So mm, that's that would have that's interesting. I can see I that working, that. especially with some of the things they did with it being, you know, like Dracula and stuff like mm-hmm. that. The from my understanding, the production cycle is long enough that if they're saying we're not gonna be doing another D D set for X amount of time, that they're probably wouldn't just repurpose it. But, well, but we've got one coming up this summer. Yeah. We've got Baldur's Gate coming up this yeah. summer, and that's a hugely popular set because the video idea. games have made it one of the, you know, just a massive setting, and people know and love that area. So, And the new one, the new video game of Baldur's Gate being created by the people who did uh, Divinity Original Sin is supposed to be, it's still in beta, but it's <coughs> getting high marks already, and they don't even have all the classes in it yet. So yeah, it's it, it's interesting that you know we're we're breaking down the magic sets and stuff too. Uh, but um, Magic Arena we've talked about in the past mm-hmm. was um, an interesting play in the mix on all this too, and we'll see how this shakes out going forward. Because last year we were talking about before the show started, John, you didn't know that um, the Hasbro CEO who had been CEO for a long time, he passed away last year. He um, he announced that he was sick and he was stepping down and then he passed away just days later. And so they haven't had a CEO until um, recently that they, they announced that uh, Chris Cook, who has been the CEO of Wizards of the Coast for a long time, is moving up and he is now the CEO of all Hasbro. And I think that that shows that you know, on um, 
uh, the $540 million of profit we were talking about earlier, that was 75% of Hasbro's total profit that they made as a company. Really? So that shows the ascendancy of Wizards of the Coast mm-hmm. in, in terms of the other products and other product lines they have for, for Hasbro um, are, has grown significantly. And they brought on a, a, a former executive from uh, Microsoft to be the new CEO of Wizards of the Coast, and I'm, I, it's, a, it's a lady, I'm, I'm, her name's escaping me right now. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what approaches they take going forward where, you know, the, the D&D and Magic guy is now in charge of all of Hasbro. You know, with the demise of Toys R Us uh, a few years ago, Hasbro's toy line has suffered huge. And Hasbro has really kind of refocused in on kind of the digital entertainment, um, new with a new magic cartoon show coming out on Netflix yep. later this year, new Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons, Dragons movie, movie being made, um, unfortunately without Jeremy Irons, and uh, you know lots of stuff coming up. With, with I don't know, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays yeah. out. Of course, D and D got an, uh, another uh, sideways boost as well because uh, two Legend. weeks ago. Uh, Critical Role hits the Legend of Vox Machina hit Amazon video and I don't know about you guys but I binged it and I'm caught up Critical acclaim everyone is saying how great it is and it's interesting that it's on Amazon which is now becoming more of a source for those adult themed animation shows they had Invincible and now this Mm -hmm. and and the people at Critical Role even said they shopped this around Everybody else wanted them to do it kid friendly, thinking that the the audience was kids, preteens, right. teens, and really the adult audience mm. is what's pulling people in. Yeah. And so that's why they this went to Amazon. This is not a kids show. This right. is not violent and bloody and vulgar. We have, and vulgar. And we have seen far more of Scanlon's anatomy than I think anybody was expecting in the first five minutes of the show. They did not shy away. <laughs> they did not shy we, away. We saw Scanlon's, uh, we saw bits, right? Um, gnome bits. And uh, I was not expecting that. I gotta be honest <laughs> with you. I just started laughing like, well, I guess they're setting the tone of the show right now. Here's here we go. But again, they aren't really relating that to D and D. But if people start getting interested mm. and they learn where did this come from, yeah. I mean, you know that's well. Critical Role was the first big um, first big web, one webcast mm-hmm. for a Dungeons and Dragons related game. Yeah, right. It's not other people have done actual plays, but it's the one that got the big push because. Well, they're all professional actors, and so they're able to get on. You know, even before they were doing some really professional production, yeah, they were able to put that shine on it. And we got a new Critical Role official Dungeons and Dragons five e book mm. dropping in May. You know, it's interesting though because you mentioned that media wise, if you just watch the show, aside from just the genre, you wouldn't necessarily know it was originally a D and D campaign. And there's a, I probably mentioned this on the podcast before, but there is a long history of. Um, RPG campaigns getting adapted into media like that and uh, it's especially prominent in Japan where things like uh, Record of Lodos War mm-hmm. and uh, Slayers two very popular um, uh, anime that were originally novels that were adapted from D&D campaigns um, in fact Lodos War was published as an actual play like in a uh, you know um, almost script format of this player says this thing this player says this thing 
And uh, it's interesting because there's a certain, you know, you can kind of get a feel for that type of fantasy when it's uh, something that was adapted from a game. And similarly, but different genre, the uh, Wild Cards series that uh, George R. R. Martin um, is the editor of, but it's a, a collection of of authors who write, uh, they call it mosaic novels, where it's like mm-hmm. kind of like short stories are all connected into one narrative. And that was they played, they were playing on, uh, was it Superworld back in the 80s? And then went, hey, let's make a book series based on our characters. <laughs> so I think more and more we're seeing people who were fans of things now being in control mm-hmm. of things from Star Wars to Marvel. It's the people Star that Trek. Star Trek, mm-hmm. obviously J.J. Uh, Abrams was James was, Gunn. James Gunn is now being able to get into comics. John Favreau is doing The Mandalorian and The, the Book, Book of, of Boba Fett. Fett, which is actually just The Mandalorian if you get long enough into it. It It's now starting to show that more and more. And I think oh, like, yeah. Right. People are calling it Mandalorian Season 2.5. Yeah, because... Well, yeah. yeah, you do get that, you know, the fans running the asylum thing as yeah. you have that turnover in generations, and, and it's, that, that's, that's been the thing comics I mean, for a long Steve time. Steve Jackson, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You well, know? I mean, things like Grant Morrison writing comics is, you know, Grant Morrison being a super fan of really es- esoteric 70s Batman things, pulling in all sorts of weird stuff like Batmite. Did you, did you guys see, I'm a, a segue, teeny tiny segue, uh, Batman Munchkin is coming. Yes, I did see that. Okay. <laughs> you play as the villains. You play okay, as the bad okay. guys. That makes sense. I That's... saw I saw a quick video on it okay. earlier, and I was Sounds just fun. like, so many puns that you could make playing <laughs> as the villains in a Batman Munchkin bad game. Munchkin. It's gonna be. It's gonna be. It's gonna be bad. Speaking but of companies puns. that have Bruce Wayne level money, let's talk about another mega corporation. <laughs> good segue. Good segue. Thank you. Thank you. And it always helps when you say good segue because that's not distracting at all. Uh, Robinsberger, <laughs> who is I know on many of my shelves at home for board games and many of the board games in the shop, uh, decided to make a very decisive move. These past few days, in funding GameFound, a Kickstarter alternative. Yeah, this is a so GameFound's been around. It's a weird play. About a year now. GameFound was started by the guys from (laughs) Awakened Realms. Mm. Awakened Realms had done a bunch of Kickstarters for some of the biggest, crunchiest board games the, that are the out there, right? The most kickstarter board games that ever Kickstartered. Yeah. Lots of minis, lots of expansions. Yeah. Where you're, you know, some of these games where you're in for four and five hundred dollars for a single game, right? Right. Um, they recently released Tainted Grail, and yeah. that was intense. And Nemesis, which we've talked about before on Nemesis? the podcast. I didn't realize that I was Leaf So. Hmm. I don't think Nemesis, Nemesis is, is that. published by someone under the Asmodee Aegis. Uh, the article I just read told me but that. So maybe, 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 maybe it's a developer. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways. But there's there's some pretty crunchy stuff that put out there. And, um, and my understanding of it is they got super irritated by dealing with the existing fulfillment houses that were out there to get their games fulfilled and out to their backers. And so they just said, originally they said, we can do this better ourselves. So GameFound was originally, well, I was originally introduced to it as a fulfillment company that was fulfilling some of the uh, games that we had purchased for the store on Kickstarter, at backing them as Kickstarter. And then uh, last year, all of a sudden GameFound was its own 
crowdfunding platform. So now they're competing against Kickstarter. So some companies are still using Kickstarter, but fulfilling through GameFound and other companies are crowdfunding on GameFound itself and then fulfilling through GameFound. Mm -hmm. And John, you pointed out earlier that some companies are using GameFound almost as their distribution arm for after the crowdfunding's over, you could just buy it and it's just fulfilled by GameFound. You might be surprised by this, but I'm a fan of a simple game called Monster Apocalypse. And so when I found, when I funded that on Kickstarter, immediately I was just given credits to go to GameFound in order to have Mm. it fulfilled there. Uh, which I found really interesting that they just didn't do that in the first place, but there's there's a sight of knowing that you're on Kickstarter. Being seen on mm-hmm. Kickstarter is still very high. And so, yeah, Robinsberger put in $4.5 million into this merger. Like They're buying a portion of the company, I'm guessing. They've got some sort of ownership stake, right? You don't put in that kind of money unless you're getting some sort of an ownership stake into it. And um, and, and uh, GameFound and Awaken Realms is saying, this gives us the money to go build cool new features, yep. right? They're talking about being able to handle um, VAT taxes for the European Union for companies like American companies that have no idea how to deal with VAT and stuff of that nature. Tons of new features. They just... Uh, did a huge update they said that makes their platform more secure than it ever was and it's also interesting timing with a lot of the news that came out about Kickstarter and all the flack they got for saying that they were going to move the Kickstarter platform and use a crypto currency backbone to blockchain blockchain. a blockchain backbone and and nobody knows exactly what they mean when they say that it was very vague there's a ton of speculation and a ton of people real unhappy about it because there's been a lot of pushback in the last two or three months to all things crypto and blockchain um, because of environmental impact mm-hmm. of that as well. So, so I think GameFound and Robinsberg are doing this at a really interesting time. Robinsberger to us is, of course, uh, some of the highest quality puzzles that exist out there. They are you know? the gold standard for puzzles. Yeah, Robinsberger, uh, Eurographics, uh, Ebu, all right there at the top of the list. But Robinsberger, definitely the biggest with the biggest yeah. brand recognition. And then, John, you pointed out that a lot more games coming out. Well, um, and that's the interesting thing to me is that... It, it, Robinsberger is not a company I would think of that would be getting heavily involved with crowdfunding because they don't tend to be a crowdfunding uh, publisher. Mm-hmm. They tend to be very big box licensed game oriented. I mean, my quip when I heard this was, oh, so are they going to be doing something that doesn't just have target fund their first print run of a game? Because um, I make it no secret that I get frustrated that Robinsberger makes some excellent products and I would like to not have this conflicting feeling but i mean half the time i hear about a new villainous game or whatever it's because it was unveiled on the shelves of target same day and then i have to wait two or three months before i can get it for customers through our store and that's just unfortunately the decisions they've made in terms of how they're going to be a business partner but it's interesting because I would normally think of them as a crowdfunding company. So are they going to start doing projects that are more crowdfunding oriented? Is this just them, uh, as, as Wu-Tang Financial would say, diversifying their bonds? I don't know. Yeah. The other one, I think Villainous Games are probably their best-selling games. Uh, Labyrinth 
old school mm-hmm. classic, right? And now mm-hmm. multiple versions of Labyrinth, right? Mm-hmm. They rolled out Harry Potter Labyrinth and Super Mario Labyrinth and some versions they like that. They published one of my favorite games that um, no one plays, Carpe Diem. Yeah, John and Amanda love Horrified, and yes. then Horrified, the American version of it. Cryptids. American Cryptids. Yep, very good game. Easy and starter. they also bought Robinsberger, you know, John, I don't know if you knew this or not, but they bought Think Fun a couple years ago as well. Oh, really? Oh. They own Brio, which is a kid's, a kid's um, line, which is kid's toys... Probably most famous for um, the wooden train tracks where you connect them all together mm-hmm. and you run the, 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 the trains over them mm-hmm. and stuff. And then they bought Think Fun probably two or three years ago now. Um, so when I order from Robinsberger, I can also go through the Think Fun catalog and order from them. Think Fun, very oriented on educational games and STEM games and, and a lot stuff, of yeah. puzzles and logic, logic stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, this is really interesting to see how this is all playing out. Um, I did not know (laughs) until we were looking at the article that Robinsberger is actually the second largest company in the games and puzzles category. Hasbro's number one, Robinsberger's number two, having passed Mattel, who is number three. I thought thought Hasbro and Mattel were still sitting one and two on top of the pile. Robinsberger passed them. Yeah, in terms of things that Mattel... It's interesting when I think about that, right, in terms of what Megacorp has bought what of my childhood. And I feel like it's that Mattel must mostly just do the very mainstream stuff that is in big box stores that I forget exists now that's like, you know, childhood classics and stuff. It's Uno and Pictionary and... Oh, okay. Those are Mattel, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Okay, it's a lot okay. of stuff like that. What the parents we grew up with and then buy for their kids because right, they had right. their generation. Well, and then also I usually think of them in terms of like toys. Like I want to say Mattel owns like Matchbox or something like Barbie, that. Barbie, I think is Mattel. Yeah. 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 And yeah, because Barbie was Kenner and Kenner got purchased by right. Mattel. I think is how that played out. There also, was, uh, if you're ever interested, the toys that made us on uh, Netflix has an amazing. I even watched the Barbie one, and it was fascinating oh, yeah. to me. I was going to say there's this really interesting show on Netflix called The Toys That Made Us. Oh, great, good. Oh, yeah. I'm glad that you. <laughs> and heard then if of you it. want more of that, more of that, I did um, watch the Barbie episode too. Yeah. that's you yeah. know that's where the Kenner information came from. YouTube and, also has a uh, channel called Toy Galaxy that is similar content, um, and. Ken will watch Toy Galaxy and be like, I just watched one the other day that talked about Gundam, and here's a thing. And I was like, oh, cool, nice. And I just kind of decode what he was, what they talked about just by what he mentions. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's really interesting, like, the, the, the moves the mega companies are making right now at this point. So we're going to see how this last episode I think we recorded was right after we found out that Asmodee had bought Miniatures Market and nobody knew about it. Correct. So, well, stealth move. Yeah. So now that we've talked about some mega corporations, let's talk about what some might consider an underdog, uh, and that is Army Painters. Uh, okay. Okay. So yeah, thank you, thank you. So the Army Painter. The Army Painter. Excuse tap. me. Is that tap? Is the, the shorthand for that? All the time. Tap. Tap it. In. Tap it is. Just so tap it in. Tap. 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 tap, tap. Why don't you go tap. to your home? So, for those of you that have painted models before, uh, probably you started with Army Painter and then was seduced by the higher-priced Citadel paints. Which, actually, if you ever compare them ounce for ounce, they're about the same price. Interesting. Hmm? I've never done that before. Citadel might be a little bit more, but they they seem more expensive because they're bigger bottles. Interesting. 
However, uh, Army Painter is uh, deciding that they're kind of going to go after some of Citadel's ex- exclusivity. Mm. Uh, I remember an article that you sent me, Jamie, I think, what now, two years ago? <laughs> uh, where Citadel was coming out with their contrast, contrast paint. Yes, yeah. it was a big deal. Contrast is a big deal. Yeah, we saw, we saw a lot. Contrast mm. paints and are designed to be newbie-friendly. Mm-hmm where it's a paint that um, is a little bit runny and it has the way the pigment in the paint works is when it runs into the cracks it darkens so it automatically does shading for you it it contrasts as it dries and contracts and uh, it's basically doing a, a base a shade and a wash all in one coat with a little bit of gloss yeah yeah and so yeah, it, if you're if you don't want to do those all as individual layers and individual skill sets, it just kind of did it all for you. And as a, I, I my entire Nighthawk army is painted primarily in uh, contrast paints, and you can have three or four bottles, and you will look like a much more experienced painter than you are, and it'll take you much less time. And there's a lot of frustration that gets taken out of the experience, and they're excellent. They're they are black magic. Um, it's but and there are a few a few things in the contrast line which don't quite work the way I think they were intended to. But there are some there's some stars in there. But this is one of those things where, as John was alluding to, now Army Painter is saying we have something new and, and we think we can do it better. And where this came in for me was so. In the paint world, you know, we carry the full line for Citadel, which is Games Workshop's house brand. That's kind of as Ravensburger is to uh, um, puzzles. puzzles. It may or may not be the best, but it's the gold standard. It's the it's got the you know the Apple branding, right? The Cadillac, and then um, real aficionados might have a preference for like a company like Vallejo, which we don't carry primarily due to supply issues. Um, and then we carry the full line for Army Painter. We carry the full line for Turbodork. Turbodork being a specialty niche brand that is new and really just does uh, really cool metallics and eighties colors, kind of yeah, vibrant yeah. brights that yeah. you don't normally see with the paint. So. Um, the thing is, normally, you'll have people who go, oh, yeah, I like to use Army Painter. It's a good workhorse brand. I got introduced to it because I picked up the D&D set or whatever. It was, you know, the, the bottles are their dropper bottles instead of a pot from Citadel. It's cheaper. Um, but they're not a brand you hear people get excited about and that they fanboy about. And until I, now, until yeah, so I'm I'm looking at our Discord. Uh, our if you're not in there already, Red Raccoon Discord. There's a QR code in our link tree and all that. So get in there; it's a good time. And I get tagged by someone who says, "Hey, can we pre-order the speed paints from Army Painter?" And I was like, "I'm not sure what this is." And I look at my distributors, and like they're asking for something that I haven't even gotten a solicitation yet uh, to order. And apparently Army Painter got some of the speed paints out to a bunch of influencers and painters on YouTube. They were getting some really good organic, like people, it wasn't one of those things where it's like astroturfed and people go, oh yeah, whatever, this is just an ad. There's some people that people respect their opinions and they said, these are good. These may be better than the contrast paints. And so all of a sudden I got people saying, I want to order the whole set. I want to order the whole set. And over time, that interest has just grown, where we have a lot of people who have pre-ordered uh, the entire mega set that has one of every 24, 26 colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also the starter set that's, I think, 12 colors. Um, it's a smaller price point. 
But um, yeah, these do the same thing that the contrast do. They have that shading um, that as it dries. And the previews I'm seeing are, there are some of the colors that were weaker in the contrast line. One of those is for instance, the gray. The one that's just basically here's a gray and a white. It, doesn't pop, especially compared to some of the others. Like the purple, the uh, Shyash purple in the contrast, amazing color, looks amazing. Uh, Warp Lightning, it's this comic book green that pops really good. And then there's things like the gray that it just doesn't, or the black that just doesn't. And they, I think they targeted those colors that are weak in the contrast line and said, we're gonna do those really good. And then we're gonna provide a bunch of colors that do not exist in the contrast line whatsoever. So for instance, there's a really good dark purple in contrast, but there's not a good light purple at all. The one that I thought was gonna be a light purple, one of the worst colors in the line, gotta be honest, did not Ooh. do what I thought it was gonna be at all. Um, so it looks like that's where the speed paints are gonna come in. Absolutely. I, I saw the I believe Stone Golem was one of them, mm. which is this dusty yellow <laughs> that, as it dried, just it blew me, my yeah. mind. Uh, I was able to watch some YouTube videos with uh, Jeff College, who we've, ha we've had on here before, and he sat us down, me and my wife, made us watch these videos. I, I dabble in painting, so I was definitely interested, but my wife even said, well, I could do that. Mm -hmm. That's not detail. Yeah. I mean, I can make something that looks really good very easily. Yeah. And she started looking at all of these games that we have on our shelves with minis, minis, and like we could really make these vibrant and pop and be look really cool. And so now we're we're in like flat, like we've doubled yeah. down on it. It's um, for me. I'm not a big painter, and I have some of the contrast paints that I was going to paint my zombies up, right? My zombicide zombies. I've talked about zombicide plenty of times here, and um, the contrast ones came out too shiny for me, and mm -hmm. I didn't like how shiny they were. Right? <laughs> I there see was that. a little too much gloss in there that I didn't want my zombies to be shiny. <sighs> I wanted my shiny zombies to be kind of a dull and. It looks like the speed paint might not have that layer of gloss mm. to it. Maybe it's a if there's anything in there as a seal, or maybe it's more matte finish, or right. I'm, or or no finish, and I'll, yeah. I'll I'll hit them with matte spray later. Right. But I definitely I don't want shiny zombies, and so mm. if if we can if I can pull that off with the speed paints, maybe the zombies will finally get painted because. I did a few with the, the contrast paints and just stopped. I think Jamie might hire like some of his employees to come and spend time <laughs> to help paint him because I've seen how many zombies you have. It's quite a bit. Well, but if you can do them all like a, a, a you know like a Space Marines army where all these ones are going to get the same paint job because it's yep. the same figure, right? Yeah. I'm, I think <clears throat> I can do that with the zombies. And, and especially if the speed paint works for me, and I feel comfortable with it the same way as they're showing on some of these videos. I will tell you one of the things that truly sold me in the ads is that uh, this is supposed to have a steel ball inside. Mm, mm, a four mix. Okay. To shake it. To yeah. shake it. Like how the works do. Exactly. And whether they stole that idea or not, I'm not here to comment on it, <laughs> but I can tell you in working with mm -hmm. army paints and Citadel paints in the past, that is just something I'm not good at, and I've always felt like I needed to buy a machine to really do properly. Yeah, they've and been saying for a while. Our machine does them. have the, the package. We have them. Yeah, we, you can you, buy those. You can um, buy the balls and ball just bearings. open up the whatever dropper you have and shake mm -hmm. them up and also yep. PSA to everyone who's listening. If you have some paint that you thought you closed and it's a 
citadel pot and you didn't make the back of it snap closed too, go go make sure that's closed all the way. It's the leading <laughs> cause of paint drying up is you close the front half and not the back half. Every year, thousands of paint pots are horribly dried out before that time. Don't let you... Your paints be another statistic. Cups and yeah. cups of Nolan it could oil. Be, I mean, if, if we're going to see how this plays out. You know, we're trying to figure out um, from the store perspective, right? Where we've got the the mega sets coming, we got the starter sets coming, we've got individual paints all coming. They're, the the individual paints are shipping later after the full box sets are, are shipping. We have to figure out where we're going to store them because um, army painters like, hey, look, we made a new rack. Cool, but the rack is two thirds air paints, airbrush paints, and airbrush paints sell okay from Citadel. But where are we going to put a whole another rack? That's yeah. That's what Jesse and I have been struggling with. Is like when all these paints get here, where are we going to store that? We'll figure it out. But never, you know, don't worry about that. We'll figure it out somehow. But I reach where out, do they go yet? We're not sure. Yeah, I reach out to Army Painter and ask some questions like, I want to bring in some of these products. Help me figure out a solution if I can't just get this other new rack. And they did respond. I'm waiting to hear back from my response. But hopefully we can get some things figured out to where maybe we can mesh it in with our current rack. Yeah, it's just one of those logistical issues because, you know, in addition, right, we talked about Vallejo, WizKids is bringing out an entire line of paints as well that will just be the, they will be the uh, official WizKids paints, which are really just a WizKids label over the top of Vallejo paints. And, um, you know, a couple people have asked us, are we going to bring that in? We're like, no, because we don't know where we would put it. Yeah. And plus, um, you know, Jesse talked about it earlier. Vallejo makes amazing paints if you can get them. We had a Vallejo for a long time. I just could never get refills for the racks for three or f- we'd be out of like white and black for like three months at a time uh, because it was just impossible to get restocks on it. So we finally just gave up and got rid of the Vallejo rack altogether. Didn't want to. Couldn't get a refill. Couldn't put anything in there. And I hear that it's getting better, but it's it was bad enough that I was like, it's going to be a hard sell via to, to get the whole rack back in. Plus, like Jamie said, space. Yeah. <laughs> space is often the downside The downside of having a little store. It, it's whenever people say, well, why don't you have all the expansions for Arkham LCG in? Or why don't you have all the, you, you know, uh, these other minis for this other game? It's like, well, it's... I have space for this much of it, and then I'm going to give you a discount for special ordering the rest of it because there's only so much. Excellent point. If you were to order these paints today, would there be a discount? If we don't have it on the shelf, it's 10% off. So pre-orders, 10% off. Special orders, 10% off, right? Yeah. Quite a deal if you want to get it today. And it's, it's it's a lot of stuff, right? There are 13 different expansions for Dominion. We carry three or four of the popular, most popular ones, my favorite ones, but we don't have space for 13 of them. We don't have space for 10 expansions to Carcassonne. We, we, did, uh, we did a survey recently. Our, one of our, our marketing person did a survey, and it was interesting to see. It was like some 70% of people who were regular customers said they were not familiar with our special order policy, which is if it's not on the shelf, doesn't matter if it's a game that's already out or not. doesn't matter if it's a game. It doesn't matter if it's Carcassonne and I'm going to have it in tomorrow because I already ordered it. It's not on the shelf right now. You put in a special order at the counter, say I want that when it comes in, you get 10% off and you don't have to pay it until you come to pick it up. I tell people that it's it's their, it's my discount to them because they have to come back. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They have to make another trip to the store and we love to see them. 
10% off because you have to come back. Yeah. Well, those are things that sadly you don't have in the store right now and can special order, but there is a ton of stuff right now that we can get to, especially in the new hotness. Gentlemen, what is on the new hotness that has caught your eye, other than this amazing uh, Hydra Squishable? Yeah, the Hydra Squishable and the King, uh, the King Raven, Raven Squishable just got King in Raven. today. <laughs> Jesse loves the King Raven one because he's got a little crown and he's got a, a, yeah, a ring, little, on, his little ring on his toe. ring on his toe, and if you sit him on your shelf, his little legs are going to just kick and it's adorable. <laughs> and see, I, I'm all about the Hydra because his, his three heads are pretty well defined and yeah. uh, it's pretty awesome um i think that probably one of the bigger new things that we have gotten uh in the last since last podcast is the root rpg yeah this is if uh it's based obviously on the board game root and all its expansions which is um animal warfare from cute little cuddly factions in the in it's a the, very it's a very niche game and you probably haven't heard of it, it yeah but it's cute <laughs> yeah it's cute and cuddly animals and yeah. I've, I've been telling everybody this is the closest that you're going to get to a red wall or moss flower mm. rpg that's out there yep. if you uh grew up reading any of those brian yeah. jocks books which martin have, the warrior yeah there's, there's like 14 or there's a win, like a win in the willows um, yeah, but it's more kind fantasy. of it's so more Red fantasy. Wall, Red Wall's a really good comparison. Well, Red Wall is one of the oh, okay. is one of the books. It's um, not Secret of Nymph. That's something completely Nymph. different. Completely <laughs> different. Completely different. It's it's the cute and fuzzy animals versus kind of the vermin in mm. the woods duking it out in all these different books and stuff. So, um, so yeah, that the the root RPG I was stoked about. Um, the other one that I'm still pretty excited about is the uh, Batman, the animated series board game came out. I saw it. Is that a skirmish or? Yes. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. And it's, um, it's, it's not you're playing the villains this time. It's your, you, well, you can choose who you're going to play. And the main game has a ton of characters in there, of course, with Batman and Robin and, and then um, all the bad guys. And then there's the Arkham Horror expansion, which adds just a ton more bad guys or into Arkham the... Arkham Asylum? Arkham, yeah, Arkham <laughs> Horror. I've, Arkham Asylum. That would be an interesting game. I would love to see that mashup. That's a Venn diagram that would... That Batman would versus money. Cthulhu? Yeah. Uh, I, once watched, I once listened to a live play of, like, I think James Bond, the Green Power Ranger, and I think it was... Uh, Batman were all fighting like Cthulhu and Nazis and it was an amazing game and I would pay money to actually own that um, I did see that with all the expansions though there's there's even more than that and well I know this might be something that you don't have on the shelves right now they went as far as to get like Batwoman as a mm-hmm. possible person it was an end cap of the animated show yes it's a little mini expansion I think it's each one is based on uh, one of the, the feature films and so the last one was Mystery of the Batwoman and that was one of them and, and something worth noting is that this was the last thing published by IDW Games before they folded. In fact, I wasn't sure at first if it was going to get fulfilled because the, that, that studio um, no longer exists. So this is not going to get reprinted, most likely. Yeah. Once it's gone, it's gone. 
Are they, you, okay. they did um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles um, and Ghostbusters mini game, minis mm-hmm. games in the last couple of years, which a lot of people really loved. And they announced they were going to do a Metal Gear Solid one, and then that ended up getting canceled. Mm-hmm. So you're telling me that I'm not going to be able to get my Batman Beyond figures, most likely. No. Disappointing. Not from, not them. from them. Not from them. Yeah. I think the other thing that that's in the case that's really cool is um, another Kickstarter that we backed. So uh, it's from Geek Tank Games, and they are 2D flat minis packs. I love these things. And they're, uh, I think they're $15.99 each, and you get, you need a, a pack of minis, and then you need a pack of bases to put them on. And they're printed on like a, like a, it's Fear almost acrylic? like a, yeah, it's not acrylic because it's more bendy. Right, right. It's, it's a plastic uh, clear plastic that has a, a and so you you give them a slight bend and you put them in the base and for fifteen ninety nine you get like seventy minis. They're like, like the Pathfinder tokens, but well, nicer. And if you're not recognizing Geek, Ta- Geek Tank Games, uh, tabletop tokens, the flat terrain that has the nice thick comic booky outlines on it. Yeah, that's and we got a restock of those too. But that's who these these folks are. Yeah, tabletop yeah. tokens were designed like okay, I bought my Chessex battle map and I don't want to draw everything, so. I bought a graveyard pack, and here's a bunch of just stuff I can stick on the table, and it's all designed to look at it like you're looking top down. Yeah. But it's just, it's like, uh, it's, uh, you, you peel it off this thing, you stick it on the table, on, onto your Chessex mat or whatever kind of mat you're using, and then you peel it off and yeah. put it back on there. It's and like, it's almost like cling. Yeah. And they're, they're basically like felt clings. And then yeah. they, uh, they're, and they're dry erase friendly. Dry erase friendly, and they, um, they're reversible, so like the one, there's one where it's like, okay, one side it's a tree, the other side it's a it's a pond. Like, they're they're amazing. Yeah, and they're they're fairly inexpensive. We sold through them pretty fast the first time mm. we got the the tabletop tokens, and then they they <coughs> could, didn't reprint them for a long time. And with this Kickstarter, they reprinted them. So, but even even monsters, you can get a ton of monsters for sixteen bucks. Mm-hmm. And the I love fun. these things. I love them. Yeah, they're super. There's a they're lot super of fun. good stuff in the new hotness right now. Yeah, um, Crash Octopus just showed up today. That just showed up today. That's a. It's almost a more of a dexterity game yeah. that I was super stoked about. That's uh, from Japan, mm-hmm. and it's a. It's based on a giant octopus is attacking your ship and his and you're trying to escape and. So you uh, you take tokens, you literally drop them down on the octopus's head so that they spread out in a ring, and then you've got to try to capture the capture the tokens back and capture various pieces of the wreckage back. Pretty Interesting. Cool. Yeah, a little bit like a, kind of a fun little dexterity game. Or a little bit of like dungeon drop. It's a little bit of, like yeah, dungeon drop. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, are there any events this week that oh, might learn some people? We're not done in the new hotness. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> No, there, well, there's so much stuff. There's I mean, so how much. do you go through it all, Jesse? Well, what, what are you going to pick out? You know, give us I, two. I was, I'm ready for two. That's exactly how many I was going to say. There are two things in the new hotness that I wanted to talk about. One is Rune, and the other one is Goetia. So Rune, we actually did a short video on our Facebook as a capsule review. This one is a pocket size, literally pocket size. I think it is the smallest complete game we have that is not cards in a tuck box. Um, and it is a 
It is a tile-laying game with cards where you are wizards trying to area control most runes. And so you play down the cards, overlapping things that match and whatnot, and then you have little wizard meeples. And so on your turn, you lay down a card, and then you can either draw a card or you place a meeple down, and you claim all of that color rune that are touching. And at the end of the game, you're going to score points based on how many runes you control. So it's a little bit like, uh, you know, like cities in Carcassonne or something like that, except for your meeples stay on the table the whole time. Now, of course, cards can get overlaid and overwritten, so your terrain might expand or it might get cut off. And it's got a very uh, quick time limit on the game because as soon as cards run out, you have to put your minis down, and as soon as all your minis are played, game's over. Um, it's impressive how much they managed to fit in such a small box. It's like 16 bucks, and it's a great two or three player game. And it even includes two little mini expansions. So that's one of the things I actually got to play in the last few weeks and had a ball with it. The other one is Goetia, Nine Kings of Solomon. And this is interesting because this is literally, I brought this one in and went, there's a copy for me and there's a copy to put on the shelf because someone else might like this. Um, it is a worker placement game. It's got a very, it's got a very metal kind of theme because uh, it's based on the Lesser Key of Solomon, which is a medieval grimoire about conjuring demons. And so you conjure demons for fun and profit. Uh, is it demons or gen? It is demons. Okay. It's, so the legend that it's based on is the idea that the building of King Solomon's Temple, which was this huge edifice, uh, the there is a legend that King Solomon bound either demons or jinn, depending on the version that you are hearing, right. uh, to be servants to build the temple, right? And uh, if you ever see in anything like, you know, uh, warlocks like conjuring up like named demons that have a certain, you know, it's like this is uh, Beelzebub and he is lord over these things and he can give you this kind of information and you draw this sigil for it. All that stuff is basically drawn from this book from the, you know, hours like 1600s or something. Just as Jesse is bringing back the satanic panic to the Gardens. Yes. And it's so, almost like Jesse might have a background in anthropology of some sort. That's crazy, though. Yeah, I, I don't am, know how I, that would happen. I have a lot of nerdy tendencies. So, <laughs> the, uh, so the interesting thing about this one is that um, the, the flavor of it is basically you run a uh, you are the lead you know, wizard, magician, whatever uh, in this occult group and your meeples, your fo- workers, are your followers. and they're all, They all got little screen printed uh, robes. It's adorable. And uh, you have them go do your bidding to gather magical resources out in the world and to go uh, do rituals and stuff to conjure up these demons and sometimes maybe they get sacrificed. It's definitely kind of got that like Lovecraftian summon an elder god uh, with your cult kind of uh, flavor to it. Darkly humorous. Um, as far as the game goes itself though it's resource gathering and worker placement and the two things i really like about it are one the board state is always going to be different because the way it's laid out with tiles and two you end up with a lot of worker placement games where you need to know like agricola is a great example of i need to know what i need to do 10 turns from now to plan out what i'm going to do this turn and this game you can't do that because a lot of the game is gate locked to where okay you know that you can get resources to do this thing but until that action triggers you're not going to find out what happens next so if you like dark art you like to listen to some black metal and uh be ooky spooky and you got a good sense of humor about it 
check out Goetia. There's one copy, and unless someone special orders another one, I don't know if I'll restock yeah, it or not. So I, both of you will have a good time. Yeah, with both it. of us will yes. have a good time. I, I feel like we just got to preview into like J- Jesse Saturday Night, like hard metal <laughs> summoning demons. Oh man, there's times when I come in and Jesse's the first one here, and the store is just rocking, and it's like Viking death metal, and I'm like, I cannot understand a single word of what's happening right now. You don't need to know the words; you need to know the spirit. It's just, well, I mean, I know what the spirit good is. Good ambient and- black metal just. <laughs> Sounds like uh, it's it's like you know ambient noise, kind of like trance <laughs> music. Black metal. Yeah, is that? I have it's never heard thing. that before. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay, it's, yeah. I yeah, I could see that now. I'll send you a couple of things that you may or may not like, but you might actually be surprised how accessible they are. I will be richer because of this experience. You will like have that. had an experience. Well, so now you're going to have to send them to John so he can include them in the liner notes of this podcast <laughs> yeah. so other people can see. It'll be our new intro and outro music. Yeah. Not so much. It's a, that's that's like a black, or that's a, that's a death metal growl, right? Death metal has the growly low vocals. Black metal tends to have the high shrieky vocals that sound like a banshee. Okay. You know? Um, and there's a lot of crossover with like shoegaze, like, you know, the band Loveless from the 90s. As I say, it's you know what I, I didn't get a whole lot into the uh, the sports conversation on the front half. So now I'm just like I'll make it weird and niche in my own way, right? <laughs> I, I saw the other day, and I think you might have posted it where it was Rob Zombie was hanging out with some baby metal people. I have some people talking about it, and oh, I was like, I, there's still metal. It's still awesome. I didn't post that, but I've seen it where he was because they were on a, uh, a, a like a festival tour together. Yeah, and someone was talking about like, oh, you got them opening, and he's like, they rock harder than I'm sure you ever do, and. I've seen Baby Metal live, and the the thing is that they're like headbanging and doing all this while doing incredibly involved choreography, like pop music style, and the the level of cardio that that requires is just insane. Like I was like, wow. Can I segue with some some awesome uh, headbanging? trivia that I found out this morning? This is probably the least board game talky episode yeah. of this podcast. Yeah. So let's yeah. just go. Yeah. Wayne's World. Party time. Excellent. This is the 30th anniversary of Wayne's World. And in the filming of the, the, the my favorite scene, most people's favorite scene, where they're headbanging to Bohemian Rhapsody in the car, that, for whatever reason, that set, that went on for six hours to the <laughs> point where both Michael Myers and Dana Carvey um, ended up needing aspirin and Tylenol because their heads hurt so much. And I think that Dana Carvey actually ended up needing like medical assistance, like chiropractic, yeah. because he was a lot older than Michael Myers. Right. And six hours of headbanging in the car well, apparently took a toll on them. Things on your neck. On Wayne will. and Garth. Uh, you know, it's, I think that the quote I pull the most from that movie, and I'm not sure why it seems to keep coming up, is you got me a gun rack. I do not own a gun, let alone several guns, which would elicit the need for a gun rack. <laughs> yeah. So. And with that, yeah. uh, is there anything going on in the store this week that can bring people in? Tonight, which is going to be a different day than when people listen to this, we're yeah. building plastic robots. Woo-hoo. Gundam Builders Night, third Tuesday of each month. Mm-hmm. Know it for next time. Friday, next time. is there a release of Kamigawa Neon Destiny? Yeah. So, Magic set? Magic set. It was pre-release was last weekend. Went very, very, very well. People were having a ton of fun. Um, lots of people came out we hadn't seen in a long time with COVID. And then, um, so that's this Friday, uh, which should be the 18th. And then Monday the 21st is the release of Pokemon Brilliant Stars, mm-hmm. which is the newest Pokemon set. Yeah. 
And also, if you happen to be listening to this in time, this Friday the 18th is also the rescheduled Tour de Chocolate, which was mm. canceled because of the blizzard a couple of weeks ago. So we will be having chocolate soup at the game store again, and we're going to have two uh, female-owned businesses <clears throat> that are going to be doing pop-up shops that are going to be selling uh, chocolate delectables. So I know that there's going to be cupcakes, and I don't know what else there's going to be. I'm sure Amanda and I will be there to kick the door down. We also just decided, based on customer feedback, throw this out there, um, first and third Sundays, we're going to have a Warhammer 40K on Sundays as well. So that's so, this okay. upcoming this Sunday, upcoming which Sunday. would be the 20th. Yep. And Battletech. Third Sunday, that's our monthly Battletech Sunday. So if you want to do Battletech or 40K, check either of those out. Maybe you don't even own anything yet. Come on down. Do them both. Yeah. Yeah. Time. yeah. yeah. Alternate back and forth. It'll, yeah. Yeah. Gauntlet. It's like playing three games of chess at once. Yes. <laughs> And with that, thank you so much That's for listening to Red Raccoon Radio. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks. Thank you so much, guys, for talking with me, and I'll release your chains now. All right. Thank, thank you, you, John. All right. Bye.